1: Bitcoin, and more. Whether you're at home or on the go, your laptop or on the phone, it's not too late to make your New Year's resolution a resolution to get paid on the games you knew were going to end up the way they did. Bet, win, and get paid at MyBookie. Today on the Zabecast, there are sports miracles and there are sports miracles. And for once, the Minnesota Vikings are on the right side of sports fate. Full breakdown of the Saints' meltdown in Minneapolis. The Jaguars roll into Pittsburgh and roll over the Steelers. Should the Patriots be scurred and Philly is still alive with Nick Foles, will it be good enough come Sunday? All that and who punched the World War III alert button? You got a half an hour or more to kill, then buckle up and let's go! Oh, the humanity, can you imagine being in the shoes of poor Marcus Williams? We'll talk more about him in just a sec. Poor, poor Marcus Williams. The Vikings win in spectacular fashion over the New Orleans Saints as we head towards Championship Sunday in the NFL. Hello and welcome and happy Martin Luther King Monday, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the ZabeCast. We have Steve Buckhance, our buddy from the Washington Wizards, long-time play-by-play man. He's going to break down all three calls of that game and of the clinching touchdown by Stefan Diggs, which is being called, like the headlines that I saw, uh, Skull-Blooded or diggs is another one. It's uh, eh, it's kind of creative. I kind of like those headlines. Uh, Darren Rovell on Twitter always elicits people to say, what's your best headline? And when you crowdsource good little kitschy tabloid headlines, you get some pretty good creative suggestions there. That said, man, watching that game, I was, I had that feeling. I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach, that sick feeling, that, oh my God, I can't even imagine You watching uh, Kai Forbath line up for that uh, field goal to put the Vikings ahead and, by the way, thinking he's an ex-redskin kicker. You ever notice, redskin fans, seems like all of our ex-kickers go on to greatness somewhere else. Just about all of them. Except for, you know, Heppner and Who's Dead and those chumps from back in the back in the spurrier days. But still, it's like every ex-girlfriend you've had it now takes up Pilates and gets a, a boob implant. Uh, boob implants. And you're like, God, she's hot now. What? Why did I break up with her? Well, we broke up with Kai Forbath because he couldn't hit anything over 50. Did it look like he had problems with his leg in Minnesota? Uh, no. So I'm sitting there, and I'm getting sick to my stomach watching this. And I'm thinking, why am I sick to my stomach? I don't care. Like, I'll be a little bit sad for Charge if there's another Viking calamity, which it looked like there would be. But otherwise, why do I care? And then it dawned on me, man, if my team, the Washington Redskins, were to ever, climb up to this level and have a game like this, I, I, I don't know how I'd handle it. I have no idea. And you know what? We're very much out of practice because we have not been to a championship game since 1991. That's 26-plus years, 27 years, depending on how you count the years. It's been forever and a day. In fact, Jean-Jacques Taylor for 103.3 FM in Dallas covers the Cowboys, just sketched out a little, uh, little piece of graph paper. The key elements the key markers of success in the NFC amongst the sixteen NFC teams. He was mainly doing this to point out how futile Dallas has been since the uh, post three years and uh, three titles and four years run under Jimmy Johnson, then Barry Switzer. So he picked 1996. Did John Jock 1996 as a cutoff point? That's 22 years. It's arbitrary, I'll grant you that, but it's still 22 years. And he did the following. You know, markers. Ten win seasons, division titles, championship game appearances, and playoff appearances. And of course, Dallas is not very good in many of these categories, although they do have nine playoff appearances, the Cowboys, in that span, which is, you know, well above the median number of playoff appearances. They don't have any championship game appearances, though, the Cowboys, since 1996. Neither do Detroit, and neither does the Redskins. Zero, zero, zero. Here's a factoid. Only uh, a... Of the three teams, okay, so Dallas, Detroit, the Redskins, we all have zero championship game appearances. The uh, every other team has two. Every other team has at least two, and we're stuck at zero with the Cowboys and the Lions. So we we've just we've never been at this level. I wouldn't know how to handle the pressure, the nerves, the excitement. It would, I'm sure, tear me up inside. Division titles. Oh, by the way, Redskins have three division titles that is tied for second fewest. Detroit has zero, and Arizona has three, and that's pretty sad. Ten win seasons. The Redskins only have three. That is also second fewest. Detroit only has two ten or or more win seasons. The Redskins have three. This is since 1996. And then playoff appearances. Redskins have five. That is also tied for second fewest in the NFC with... Arizona, who has five, the fewest playoff appearances in that span, the Chicago Bears with four. But at least the Bears went to a Super Bowl, albeit with Rex Grossman, in that span. All told, the Redskins are easily the bottom of the NFC in any measure, in a combined measure, however you want to cut it, since 1996. And with that happy news, let's move on to the game yesterday. Holy shit. What are you thinking, Marcus Williams? This play will be debated for a long time by a lot of people. And I heard the excuse, and I'm going to call it an excuse because that's what it was, offered up by Jimmy Johnson right after the game, which is Marcus Williams was in basically don't commit a PI mode of defense. And he actually avoided the hit on purpose. Others are not so convinced. Others are saying, no, nah, no, nah. it looked like he just launched at Diggs to make a blow-up play and mistimed it and missed his launch and missed him entirely. I don't know. Williams is a very good rookie, and they were praising how good a season he has had. They think he's going to have a good career. This could leave a definite scar, though. I, I don't know. I think he had to have been trying to avoid the guy at the last minute. He was unclear, Marcus Williams, in his comments after the game, and I give him full credit. He faced the music. He answered questions. His eyes, of course, were all red and bleary. Uh, He broke down in tears in the locker room afterwards for letting his team down. I think he probably realized at the last second, oh, shit, oh, shit, I'm too quick. I'm here. I'm about to nail the guy. They're definitely going to call this P.I. Let me try to dive and avoid him, and maybe he'll drop it. Maybe somebody will tackle him. Next thing you know, he's wiping out his own teammate, and Diggs stays in bounds. Diggs puts one arm down to stay upright, and the rest is history. I do feel bad for Marcus Williams. Maybe as I get older, I get softer, and I say to myself, oh, man, these guys are human beings too, but then... The other side of me says he is an NFL player. He's a pro player. He should know how to play that play. That's not a complicated play if you're the safety on that. Somebody's got to be the deepest, deep, and somebody has to say, no matter what, I'm going to tackle any receiver who catches it inbounds because if I do, I win the game. Because with 10 seconds left, there's no way an inbound play that ends in a tackle that they can get up and get a snap off and spike the ball. The game's over. It's 10 seconds left. So he's a pro. Fuck him! Make the play. You're getting paid, you dummy. The other thing that I always think of secondly, after I feel bad for players that have screwed up badly, like you know Blair Walsh or uh, Brandon Bostic who botched the onside kick for the for the Packers against the Seahawks, or um, pick anybody or Raheem Moore for the Broncos, who let uh, Jacoby Jones get behind him. I always say, okay, as much as I feel bad for him. Do you know what he might have been saying all game long? And to that I go, no, no, I don't. Imagine if you were to hear the soundtrack from the entire game of Marcus Williams mic'd up. He might have been talking the biggest bucket of shit you've ever heard all game long, at which point you would not feel sorry one bit if he fucked up badly to lose the game for his team. But that said, absent any other information, I feel bad for the guy because... You know, it sucks. Life sucks, man. What are you going to do? Meanwhile, in other NFL action, you saw the Pittsburgh Steelers get all cocky, roll out the footballs at home and think, we're going to beat these guys. And they got their asses kicked up one side and down the other. Yes, they rallied to make it interesting multiple times. Yes, Todd Haley is a moron for not running quarterback sneaks. Yes, uh, Big Ben is at fault for one of those two in which he audibled out of it. Although after the game, you might have heard Big Ben say when asked, well, why don't you run a quarterback sneak on fourth and a white guy's dick? And the answer is, at least according to Big Ben, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. We, we, we really haven't run those plays uh, lately much, <laughs> which is a direct shot at Haley, whose contract is up at, well, the end of the season, which is now his contract is up. I'm sure many Steeler fans would be dying to get out of the Haley business. Speaking of Big Ben, he did say he plans to come back next year. Plans can change. Last year he said he wanted to think about it right after the season ended. This is a bit more of a firm commitment. He was pretty much healthy all year. I think he'd be crazy to quit right now, but it's his body, it's his life, it's his brain. It's just hard to think with a receiver as sick as Antonio Brown, how can you walk away from that when you are otherwise upright and healthy? But the cockiness of the Steelers... And the Le'Veon Bell tweet, I love round twos. We're going to have two round twos in two weeks. The fact that Bell was talking about his franchise tag and contract, the fact that uh, Coach uh, Omar Epps Jr. look look-alike, <laughs> who, by the way, I love him. I love Mike Tomlin in press conferences, and I love him on the sideline in terms of the visuals. I love the spit freezing on his goatee. I love the swagger don't love the X's and O's. I don't love the lack of game management. I don't love the use of timeouts. I don't love a million things about him as a coach when it comes to actually winning games. In the locker room, motivator, press conferences, A+. plus. Everything else, I mean D. It's not good. He is not good when it comes to winning games. And any Pittsburgh fan, I think, just about any Pittsburgh fan would back you up on that. So the Steelers go down in flames as the Jaguars move on to New England, as possibly one of these teams. And the prototype to beat New England with Brady and Belichick at their place in the playoffs, power running team, great defense. You can even have a mediocre quarterback like a Joe Flacco or a Mark Sanchez and get the job done. Because those are the three teams who have beaten the Patriots at New England in the playoffs. Did you say three? I did say three. The Ravens twice. So two franchises, three teams. Two different Raven teams went up there and beat the Patriots at their place. In fact, they would have beat them three times if not for a drop touchdown in the end zone and the Billy Cundiff choke from about 19 yards. Another guy that lives in infamy. Patriots are minus nine in that, in that game. I, I would lean Pats right now. I can't see Tom Brady losing to Blake Bortles. And I know, could you see Tom Brady losing to uh, Mark Sanchez or, or Joe Flacco? And the answer is no, but this is different. This is different. I, I have a hard time believing the Patriots are not going to handle business and handle business comfortably. And then you're going to see the possibility. Let's imagine this. So the Patriots could have done a playoff two-step at home of Tennessee and Jacksonville and then play a Eagles team with Nick Foles at quarterback. Talk about a low road to the playoffs, an easy road, or to the Super Bowl. But that hasn't happened yet, so let's not get carried away. Vikings, by the way, are minus three and a half on the road at Philadelphia. It'll be, you know, uh, Keenum versus Foles. And for every Redskin fan that says, see, you don't need a great quarterback. You don't have to pay a lot for a quarterback. Look at these two teams. That is the dumbest fucking logic ever. And I hesitate to even call it logic, but I will say it is fucking dumb. Keenum and Foles were not the starters going into the season. Keenum is playing lights out this year. I'll give him that. But the Vikings are the best all-around team in the NFL. Best coached, best in just about every phase. And Keenum has been balling out, so I give him credit for that. But he was their third stringer. Get out of here with that nonsense. And Foles, Foles may well shit the bed yet. Just wait. Played well enough against Atlanta. Did all the right things. Was not spectacular. Was super windy. But don't. Start selling me. See, we should let Kirk go because, you know, we don't, we don't need a good quarterback. Why spend so much on a quarterback? That's like saying, you know, one unusual thing has happened once. Oh, I'm going to now use it as my absolute lodestar of truth in life. And I am I'm going to change everything else I know. I'm going to forget everything else I know about the NFL or life because, hey, one, you know, remember that time that Foles played Keenum? Oh, we don't need a quarterback. At least not a good one. We're not, we're not going to pay a lot for this quarterback. Ridiculous. Pat's minus nine, Vikings minus three and a half. My Monday lean is I'll take the favorites. I know. Johnny Square player. I just don't see it. Oh, by the way, my picks last week were pretty, pretty good. 3 0 oh, 1 against the spread. I did push the Saints and Vikings game. And then I boffed the overs. Uh, biffed the overs. Boff, biff. That's why I don't take over-unders. I'm terrible. One and three at the over-unders. Okay. Will it be enough? Uh, I I mentioned uh, Jaguars rolling to Pittsburgh. Got that. Uh, The Patriots scared. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Philly's still alive with Nick Foles. Will it be good enough against the Vikings? My hunch is no. No, it it really won't. Uh, Atlanta was. Atlanta did not. Atlanta kind of reverted to what they had been for the back half of the season, which is a very predictable, boring offense. And they still had a chance to win at the end of the game with a first and goal. And they took four shots and they blew it. So good win for the Eagles. But let's not get carried away. I think the Vikings are a markedly better team. And I think now that they have escaped the sword of Damocles, they have escaped death row with that miracle win, I think they're no stopping them. They're the team of destiny, and they're going to the Super Bowl. So the extra point rule, I want to talk about this real quick. It is the stupidest thing ever because... You're asking a team like the Saints to come out of the locker room for something that is utterly meaningless to everybody. And for those that say, well, Vegas, it's Vegas, man, Vegas wants it. Vegas doesn't give a shit either way. As many guys that got fucked by the non-extra point kicking on a five-point spread than when they might have had the game either at four and a half, five, or five and a half, as many people got boned by that, just about as many benefited. Now, sometimes a book will have a large amount of money on one side versus the other but that does not mean that they are obsessed with we've got to kick this out mike pereira said that the rule for kicking an extra point when a game has hit zeros in regulation versus not kicking the extra point when you win by a touchdown in overtime is because a point differential used in tiebreakers to get into the playoffs but this is not the regular season so why uh, why Why would you make them come out of the tunnel when even a blocked extra point or a returned two point conversion for two would still not change the score? Why? Because the NFL is stupid and they're full of bureaucrats and they have not cleaned up this wrinkle. And they should. And by the way, they can clean up the wrinkle in the regular season by just saying that, you know, writing the rule as follows When a team wins with a touchdown as the clock hits zero, if they choose to, they may refuse to choose. Or they may refuse to kick the extra point at any time. Or, no, how about this? Any team scoring a touchdown may refuse to kick the extra point with no penalty at any time. And yes, if that affects, if that one point affects point differential on the ninth tiebreaker in the regular season, too fucking bad. Who cares? All right, before we get to our guest today... um, replay. You want to talk about replay here? Nah. It's too much to get into it. Although I did on Twitter for a bit in which uh you know, of course, the pro replay people after one good replay overturn were coming out of the woodwork after many other tedious, stupid, boring, and pointless reviews that bogged games down all weekend long. They came out and of course supported replay. And uh one guy, uh Dan Worthington, uh who I believe works for Bleacher Report. Good guy. I met him at the Super Bowl last year. Dan is a staunch pro replay guy, and he said that, you know, replay's got some cleaning up to do. I love all the pro replay together. I you got some cleaning up to do. But overall, it's a net positive. And besides, he said, oh, I made the point about, you know, the, the false start that really hurt uh, Atlanta. No, it was uh, the Patriots. Patriots, yeah. The, the, the Patriots Titans game, the Titans were never winning the game, but still, that false start on the punt that turned into encroachment after they picked up the flag. That was huge, big call, not reviewable. Offensive pass interference on Decker, it's a judgment call, not reviewable. Other things, not reviewable. And so that was my point about it's so dumb. You have some things you can review, some things you can't. Dan Worthington said, yeah, but the ones that they're reviewing are all objectively viewable or something to that effect, that they, they, they are non-subjective calls. And I said, non-subjective? you kidding me? I said, what is a catch is now a subjective experiment. And Dan had an answer for this. I would disagree with it highly, but I found it creative. He said, yeah, but Zabe, the league doesn't have any confusion as to what a catch is. Or the league doesn't have any subjectivity. Or he said, no, this is it. Quote, there's no subjectivity in the league's eyes on what is a catch. ha <laughs> ha. I I thought to myself, I said, this is like, do you have a drinking problem? I say I don't. My wife says I does. My wife says I does. My wife says I do. Who's right? Well, objectively speaking, I only drink two mixed drinks a night, three out of five nights during the week, or three out of seven nights of the week, and maybe three at most. I don't break shit around the house. I don't vomit in my bed. I wake up the next day and get on with life. How's that a drinking problem? Maybe your wife says, you should dial it back just a bit. All this weekday drinking. I don't like that. (laughs) It's not subjective in the league's eyes. Yeah, because they're the ones that have the final say. Everyone else watching some of these catches, very subjective. We're screaming, how is that not a catch? We're screaming, how is that a catch? And the beat will go on with that. All right, for a breakdown of the play calls of the Minneapolis Miracle, we go to a trusted play-by-play source and a longtime friend of Zayn fever happens to me every year fever. All right, joining us now is the man who invented the infamous call. "No, Not possible." My friend Steve Buckance. longtime play-by-play voice of the Washington Wizards. Of all the no, not possibles. That Viking Saints ending, Buck, was right up there, wasn't it?
0: That was a good one. I, uh, I, was, I was really interested and curious to hear all of the different calls on TV and radio because it was a shocker. Every, every guy that called it sounded like they were stunned because I don't think anybody was expecting it.
1: Well, it was one of those plays. I was screaming by myself in my basement, with nobody around me. I was just literally like this. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God.
0: Yeah, and it was a local guy that caught the pass, so that was kind of cool.
1: How about that, Stefan Diggs? Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll talk more about that. But Okay, so, so we're going to play the audio of the three calls, the Joe Buck, Troy Aikman television call. We're going right. to play the audio of the Saints losing call. And then right. we're going to play the audio of, of course, Paul Allen and the Vikings winning call, which is the most crazy and joyous and raucous. And then I'm going to get your input on all three of those calls. Let's first start by hearing Joe Buck call the play that rocked the NFL. Try to work
0: the ball on the boundary. And
1: steps into it. Passes. All right, buck now that you've heard it what what kind of grade would you give joe buck on a moment like that
0: i a typical uh joe buck and the perfect call for a television announcer uh it's some, some you know he was clearly stunned by it but made the right call uh didn't get too wordy you know that's 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 the perfect example of how a tv call should be made because you have to remember you're watching the game right. so He doesn't have to describe every single thing. Just, like, basically hit it with one word or two words. Uh, He crosses the line. He screams out touchdown, and then he lets it breathe. I mean, that's exactly what what you needed. That's all you needed, and that's that's why he's as good as he is. I mean, no TV guy is going to talk over that too much.
1: No stumbling. He didn't mess up who the receiver was, which I know people might say, well, why would he do that? It's harder than you think. Mistakes happen and in the moment when the, when the stage is so big and, and things yes. are happening that you didn't expect to see because visually you're saying to yourself, wait, why is that Saints defender diving at his knees and missing him? And, and where's the Saints defender that surely must be lurking further out of the picture near the goal line to prevent such a calamity? And Buck kept his wits about him so that he didn't really let all that misinformation jumble his process.
0: Right, and, and in a situation like that where you have a feeling a guy's going to make a pass, you you don't think it's going to be a running play. Then as a play-by-play guy, your biggest uh, concern is who are the receivers? Who is who's on the field? Who's lined up on the line of scrimmage? Is it three guys? Is it four guys? And who are they and where are they? Right. So that you've got a pretty good idea where everybody is so that you're not going to mess up the call and you're going to know who's out there. So if somebody was replaced by another receiver, you'd need to know that, and hopefully your spotter would have helped you with that. But, but before the ball's even snapped, you're looking to see who the receivers are.
1: By the way, if you heard a sound there on the podcast recording, that was my iPhone alerting me that we are now under 10% power. But I'm not worried, Buck. <laughs> We've got two timeouts, 10% power. We're going to get this interview done no matter what. So okay. B- Buck was great, and give credit, question mark? To Troy Aikman for not. You don't not have
0: to give any credit. You don't have to give any credit whoa, 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 the color whoa, whoa, guy. Whoa,
1: whoa. Give him credit for not stepping on Buck? Uh,
0: you, you, the color guy should never step on the play-by-play guy. And that's that's what I'm going to tell you is the biggest problem with the Minnesota call. I know. Which made me want to retch.
1: <laughs> We're going to get to that in just
0: a second. But, the, but as, a, as a color guy, first of all, let me just say this. You only hear the color guy screaming on a hometown radio call. You'll never hear it on a network television call. You'll never hear a network color guy in this day and age screaming over that play. True. Aikman did exactly the correct thing. He knew to bite his lip, to keep quiet, to not say a word until Buck had finished and even long after that until it was appropriate for Aikman to make a comment. Yeah. So I just want to make that statement, that think, you'll never hear a color guy on TV, especially on a network game, uh, step on okay, the play-by-play forget play the guy. Forget the
1: screaming, though. What about just a, a, a simple exhortation of, oh, my, there's nobody back there. Like, you can expect that. I know it's wrong to do. I know yeah. it's not I mean, right. and you
0: might expect it from Romo. Romo might do it. Yeah, he's a little more into the game. He's he's almost more of like a fan, right. doing color than a polished network play a uh, color color commentator. And not that he's not polished, but he's still got a lot of youthful enth- enthusiasm in him.
1: Right. Okay. So there was the uh, the Joe Buck call. Joe Buck, I think you, Mister Buck, hands would agree is simply outstanding. He is.
0: Yeah, he's he's excellent. He's first he's, rate he's all the way through.
1: Is. Okay. Yep. So great call by. Uh, Joe Buck on a play that nobody...
0: And, and you don't at. have to say much, you know, Zabe. No. It's not like you, got, you, you just call the play and let it breathe.
1: But here's what, uh, here's what else that he did, which I like and I think it's important from a historical standpoint. Obviously, the Vikings just made a miracle pass and catch and Diggs ran in for the touchdown and obviously that won the game and everybody knowing everybody watching the game knew it was to win the game. Okay, that was obvious.
0: But mm-hmm. Buck,
1: after he escorted Diggs into the touchdown with his call, paused a moment and then tied it off with a bow by saying, and the Vikings will win. Yeah. That's important because that audio timestamp lives forever, right? Yeah.
0: Yep. And, you know, I mean, that. but that's what he should have done. Clearly, he looks up and he sees that the clock is, what, at zero or no time on the clock. And the game's over. They won it. So, yeah, you got to put the exclamation mark on there, no doubt about right, it.
1: But that, like, that's something that I think a lot of fans don't appreciate is that that's a very important thing that the play-by-play guy must do, not only in the moment but also just for the rest of time as that TV highlight is played um, because it's important. And it'd be easy as a play-by-play just to, go, to babble and be like, I can't believe what I saw right, happen. Right, right. But he did his job. Okay, so let's move on from that. Let's go to the Saints radio call. Which is uh, the team of Jim Henderson and Deuce McAllister. Here was what it sounded like on the losing end of that play. Go.
0: Fence coverage again.
1: Third and 10 from the Viking 39. Precious
0: seconds left on the clock. The Vikings' date a completion and an apparent field goal attempt. Here's Keenan dropping, looking, throwing near sideline, and it's caught by Stefan Diggs, he's going to take it inside the 15, 10, 5, touchdown on the final play of this game, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He could have came up and just tackled him, he stuck, put his head down, and he didn't step out of bounds, Jim, they're going to review it, but he didn't step out of bounds. One-yard touchdown strike to Stephon Diggs. Almost looked like the Saints defenders came up with an intent to intercept the pass. Instead, they couldn't get their hands on it. It fell right into the middle of Stephon a Diggs. The previous play. The yeah, previous he didn't step out. Of it looked like it, but he never stepped out. Marcus Williams just, he, he, he
1: ducked his head. All right, Buck, I'll let you have at it. You, you know Jim Henderson. You work with Jim I Henderson. Do.
0: We worked in Atlanta briefly together in 1980 at WSB-TV before he went to New Orleans, where he then became the play-by-play voice of the Saints for a long time, a lot of years. He's been there forever. So, okay, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've been on that end as well. We all have where your team that you're calling, and, and this is a big-time playoff game, obviously. You know, you're crushed when something like this happens. But he's a professional, and he called the play as a professional, and uh, th- that's about all you can do. Was I mean, it, you're showing
1: it, it wasn't too clinical for you? Like, from my standpoint, I thought it was a touch flat, because what he yeah, is I mean, witnessing, a, yeah, it, he is it, witnessing it a bloody horror show, yes. and it's almost like he doesn't give a crap that it's happening.
0: Well, I didn't get the sense he didn't give a crap. I got the sense that, that he, he was, was deflated. Yeah, deflated, disappointed. Okay. Now. Now, as a hometown broadcaster, you might have expected him to sound even more deflated. Something like, uh, you know, you know, he's going to score.
1: Oh my God! Can it. you believe no, that? Not possible.
0: Yeah, the yeah exactly.
1: Have thrown this game away. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, that's you what could have expected that. That's what we want and expect, is it not, from our hometown radio radio play by play guys?
0: Right. Well, again, yes radio. No. Yeah, yeah, yo, No, yeah. You you could absolutely be more dramatic or embellish a little bit more, or however you want to phrase it, uh, because yeah, it is radio. It is hometown radio, and, uh, and and but I I got the sense he was disappointed, but I could have also had you know uh, this is this is just one of the most crushing things I've ever seen. Kind of a kind of an exclamation.
1: Yeah, Deuce McAllister also was good in pretty much diagnosing right away within seconds about the mistake that poor number 43 made on his attempt to play that pass there right. and right. pretty much had it nailed. So that was, right. that was the Saints broadcast. Now we go right. to Paul Allen and the mm-hmm. Minnesota Vikings radio network. Paul Allen is the play-by-play announcer. The color analyst is one Pete Bursich. I personally think that Paul Allen is the best in the NFL, play-by-play radio man. Second only to Larry Michael, of course, our own Larry Michael. (laughs) (laughs) But Paul Allen is outstanding, and Paul Allen has been on the losing end of several horrific calls, like the touchdown by Arizona, Tyrone Poole that knocked him out of the playoffs, the interception by Favre, which has been played over and over and over again. We played these bites on Friday on the show. The Blair Walsh missed field goal, which I didn't play Friday on the show, but I at least uh, listened to it over the weekend. Here was the call from the Vikings as a miracle, fell out of the sky and into their laps. Kind of Ten Taylor. seconds to go. 24-23 Saints.
0: Vikings at their own 39. It's third down. Three receivers right, field, and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay above. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hey. 30. No K. Touchdown. Oh. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis miracle! No way. Stephon Diggs! And the Minnesota oh, Vikings no have lost up on the New Orleans Saints! It's a 61-yard Minneapolis miracle! I can't believe what I just saw, Boyle! What an unbelievable play! Fans Step at up. US Bank Stadium are embracing each other. They're trying to climb into the box box. To hug us all. Nobody can find Stefan Diggs. He ran into the tunnel. Unbelievable ball. Scott. Are you kidding me? They run the deep out route. Stefan Diggs goes up, and Marcus
1: Williams, the rookie, tries to jump over the back of him to break up the throw. The ball is caught, and Diggs is able to take it into the end zone. Look at the Vikings so coaches. This is just right an field. absolute yes! Yes! mistake. Yes! Yes!
0: Are you kidding me? Look at these Vikings coaches. Yes.
1: Let's oh. go to Philadelphia. Paul, when it's your year, it's your year. That's all I got go to say. Let's What an unbelievable play. It's going to be 48 and Grizzly, and we're bringing a purple rain. Now, Buckhans, tell yep. us what was wrong with that.
0: Well, I think we all know what was wrong with that, and let me just say that I feel horribly for Paul Allen. I mean you
1: feel bad you, for Paul you, Allen.
0: <laughs> I feel bad for Paul Allen cuz he had all these great things including a, you know a Minnesota miracle and you barely heard it because the guy stepped all over him. Cuz Pete Persich, I mean,
1: God bless him, oh, come, went you know, crazy yeah, God like bless it, him.
0: I mean look, it's just I understand and again, you're only going to hear the color guy screaming and yelling and cheering. On a home radio broadcast, not on a TV broadcast, that should never happen. It right. usually doesn't with a network. But on a home broadcast, you're going to hear that occasionally, and it's a, it's a damn shame because, uh, uh, you know, he ruined the call. Ruined the call. Ruined and the call. and I, when I say he ruined the call, I mean, from a play-by-play guy's standpoint, he ruined the call. Paul Allen's probably never going to say that, but it's true. Now, if you're a fan, do you mind it? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you don't mind it as a fan. Maybe you don't mind hearing everybody screaming and yelling and two guys that are talking over each other, so now you can't hear anything anybody's saying. Maybe you don't mind that. I mean, everybody got so caught up in the moment, and people clearly at home realized it was a touchdown, so they were fine.
1: A couple thoughts here. First of all, as a former play-by-play man, Myself, Buckhands. UC
0: Santa Barbara, right?
1: That's right, 91 to 94. (laughs) I, I, I too, I understand exactly where play-by-play guys are coming from. You guys are painting a large painting on a mural, on a three-hour mural, a painting of words describing the action. You spend hours preparing for each game to make sure you can be the best you can be. Some games go better than others, but you want your work to be just that. You want it to be a a work of radio art so that when the big moment happens, your brush stroke is steady and true and you paint a masterpiece call in a masterpiece moment.
0: You're missing even the bigger picture, Zay. Here's the bigger picture. Yeah, we'd all love our calls to be perfect and painted perfect and all that stuff. The bigger picture is this. Nobody benefits from having two people talking at the same time. It just doesn't sound good. right? And you miss stuff. So that's that to me. That's the bigger picture. Okay. Forget about you know what I'm okay. play by play guys wanting to be perfect.
1: Okay, fair, fair enough about that. But but what Bursic did was basically, as Paul Allen's about to put the brushstrokes on what would have been a masterful okay. call, I have no right? doubt. Bursic yep. jumped up and knocked the can of paint over and spilled it all over the place at the wrong time. But as a caveat, one last one on a play of such stunning, unbelievable magnitude. Can you blame him?
0: Uh, I, I guess you can't can blame you? him. I mean, uh, the, the, because he's the hometown guy, so you understand that. So he's cheering and he's rooting for the team, which is perfectly fine. Um, that I, I can understand that happening. But I will tell you this. I've had this conversation with more than one of my color commentator yeah. uh, partners. Uh, I had it early on with my buddy Phil Chenier, uh, and I just said, you know what? It doesn't do anybody, and we do local TV, okay? So we can get kind of excited sometimes, sure. and the color guy can get excited sometimes. And I just said, you know what? doesn't do anybody any good for two people to be talking at the same time. I said, we want, to, we want this to be clean. We want it to sound good. I want my calls to, to be emphatic and make a statement. And I will make the call. And when I finish making the call, I will shut up and you can talk for as long as you want. And that's what I tell every color person I work with because nothing sounds worse than having two people talking over each other. And when the color guy is screaming and yelling, nothing sounds worse than that.
1: Yeah, and what, what buck is too modest to say? dear listener, is that he once went to Phil and said, if you ever step on a call of mine, <laughs> I will take my knife to your nuts in the middle of the night at the Holiday Inn we're staying in or whatever nice hotel. And you wasn't will never know yet. it. Okay, so don't try me on this. You shut the hell up <laughs> when it comes time for me to make the call. Oh, and and man. you know what? To Phil's credit, he was very cool after that moment. That That one he random was. night one random night in sacramento like early on in buck's play-by-play career it's all it took it was one hard conversation <laughs> do you think okay I,
0: you know i see it from a different perspective zay
1: i know listen let, you're not the only one. There's a number of people that are going to say the exact same thing. And then there's some people that say, okay, so what? It was a, you know, a miracle that fell out of the sky. Of course, they're going to get excited. The bulk of Paul Allen's call is still unmarred and intact. And what are you going to do? Pete Bursich was super excited about it. There's two schools right. of thought, I guess. So h- hold on a second. Do you think it's possible once they went to their first commercial break after all the hub- hullabaloo died down that Paul Allen ripped his headset off gave a death stare to Bursich and said "What the fuck?
0: What the fuck was that? You're killing me, man. You're killing me." <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Listen, think- if he didn't if he didn't do that, he wanted to do that and I can tr- trust me on that. He I don't know what kind of relationship they have. I'm sure it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, but but I'm sure he took a deep breath and he may or may not have stared at Pete but under his own breath, he said, dude, you're killing me.
1: You are killing me, exactly. Prior to becoming the Wiz Play-by-Play Man, remind me of other games you did Play-by-Play Wise. Didn't you used to do TV games on Fox way back when? I
0: did, uh, locally on Channel 5, uh, because when I got to Channel 5, we were still called Metro Media. We weren't what year Fox was that? Then. 1984. And we were the Big East Network. All of the Big East games were carried on Channel 5. So when Patrick Ewing played and all those guys in Georgetown, we we had all of their games. So that's, I did the bulk of my play-by-play work there. But also uh, I did Navy football on the radio for seven years uh, for the Naval Academy from 91 to 97, which was fabulous. There's nothing like doing the military schools. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like doing an Army-Navy game. It it is the best. And then uh, when Fox got football in 1994, uh, I was one of the guys that went out for a, an audition with, uh, well, the guys that were out there. It was an interesting group of guys in L.A. It was Joe Buck, Kenny Albert, Tom Brenneman, Kevin Harland, and myself. And uh, I ended up doing three NFL games on Fox, including a Redskins game that first year, Redskins in Tampa. So that was that was a lot of fun. That was great stuff. Yeah,
1: that good stuff there. And, by the way, um, you know, these NFL play-by-play guys, most of them are outstanding. Some of them, we won't name names. Sir. Some of them, they're all good. Some of them, Buck, you just kind of you shake your head and go, uh, "Come on now." But I love yeah. the fact that you appreciate the art of, of 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 the job. And you were texting me after the national championship game about Fowler, who had taken over for Brent Musburger. And I don't blame him for putting that demand on ESPN. He said, basically, look, I put in my time here. I started at Scholastic Sports America. I'm the consummate pro. I've been doing game day for a long time. I don't need to go to another stinking college campus. This guy, Musburger, is 74 years old. It's time to move him out and move me in. And a lot of us who are big Uncle Brent fans didn't really like that as much. And we thought that you know, uh, Fowler was a little bit not – well, I don't know. He just wasn't Uncle Brent. I think, Buck, he's grown into that job tremendously.
0: Yeah. And times have changed, Zabe. Things are different Uh, with social media and so much exposure and these young people coming out of college that get jobs at ESPN that have no experience whatsoever because they've been reading a teleprompter for four years. uh, (laughs) Things have changed. Uh, Journalism has changed dramatically and not so much for the better. But all of that aside, he's I think he he you know, he I don't like I don't. I judge these things from a different perspective, as you know, like most play-by-play guys do. And I don't love guys who are so enamored with their own voice that uh, it takes away from the broadcast. Okay, Uh, I hate that. I I, that's why I love guys like Ian Eagle. I just think Ian Eagle's
1: outstanding. He was great.
0: He's great. He's great. Uh, Calls the game, just does it the right way. Uh, doesn't miss anything, is well-prepared, is a little bit of humor in there. And so uh, I, I like guys like that. And I won't name guys that I don't like. But okay. I think Fowler does a great job. He's he's not so pretentious at all. So you'd agree that Fowler all. has
1: kind of grown into it. I thought at first his voice was a little thin, if that makes any sense to anybody. But he, he's, he's gotten better at that somehow. And yeah. I think he does a good job. He made a couple of tiny technical mistakes that you keyed in on and had to text yeah. me on saying he messed the kicker's name up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, he's he's good, and I think him and Herb Street uh, really make a great pair. And they're you know they're just very, you know he's he calls the game normally and naturally when it needs to be called that way, and he gets excited and dramatic when it calls for that as well. And so does Herb Street. I, I thought they were great. I, I enjoyed watching and listening to them do the game.
1: All right, so we'll we'll end with this. I have had more than a few people in my career, young youngins, wanting asking me about you know careers in broadcasting and sports. Yeah, we all have. Yep, and, and asking my advice, and when it comes to play-by-play, my one bit of advice that I have to every young aspiring broadcaster is, are you willing to murder a, love, a beloved legend of a local <laughs> team? Because right. if you are, if, you're, if you have that in your blood, maybe play-by-play is for you. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm just kidding, of course, but these play-by-play jobs are held in most cases, especially at the collegiate level, by guys who have been around forever. And they are loved by the fan base. And unless short of getting caught with, you know, a goat in Estapa, Mexico, they're not going to lose that job. So it's a tough – there's not a lot of movement is what I tell these guys. And you have to be be willing to suffer for a long time and grind and go anywhere there's an opening – to get a shot and then to hopefully get tapped in,
0: yeah, and the same can be said of the TV jobs that we've ha- had too, as well. Um, and uh, TV play-by-play? Well, no, just TV sportscasting. Okay. But that's that's like sort local, of local TV
1: sports. Yeah,
0: that's that's gone by the wayside a little bit. Right. Those jobs aren't as big as they used to be.
1: Right, but like, uh, there's any of... number of play-by-play guys, especially at the college level, Buck, mm-hmm. that I can objectively say this guy's not very good, but. He's loved, and they get to be 70 and 80 years old. And they right. Well, on. let me
0: tell you how that works, Zabe, and I've worked in six different TV markets doing sports on TV. Uh, to your point, you don't have to be that good to be loved. You just have to be there a long time. Right. I've heard radio guys and some TV guys in markets, very small markets, that just aren't very good, but they've been there forever, and they are immortalized. They're idolized. And so, you know, longevity longevity has a lot to do with popularity.
1: True. And whatever play-by-play job you're going to pursue in life, you better love, I mean love, the sport that you are covering. Well, you've got to love
0: the sport you're covering, but you—but there's a, also a fine line, too. Um, you know, I can remember when I left Channel 5 after anchoring sports for 20 years in five different cities on TV, to do play-by-play, I can remember some things happening that I had to cover. Some stories with maybe Juwan Howard and Chris Weber and things that you know. And I had to, and I, they still wanted me to cover it, even though I was doing the play-by-play. And I had to go to to, to the uh, to the folks that, in charge and say, "Listen, um, I I'm not I'm not out here to uncover dirt and dig up controversy. I'm out here to call pretty pictures, and that's pretty much what we do now. You got to be very careful." You got to walk a fine line. You can't denigrate a team. You can't uh, you can't demean anybody. About the worst thing you can say is somebody's really struggling, and that's about it. Because after that, the owner doesn't like what you have to say, and that's how you can lose your job.
1: Well said, my friend, Buckhantz. You're always great to talk to. Glad for your breakdown of the three play-by-play calls from one of the epic plays in NFL history. And it, it was you know, a lot of fun. It, it's good. You know what? And the, and I'd like to say we'll never say anything like that again. But, look, we know the NFL is set up that way in which crazy happens. Oh, yeah. It happens when you least expect it. and that We'll see it again.
0: Trust goal. me. Yep. <laughs>
1: All right, Buck. Uh, good to talk to you, buddy. Thanks for appearing on the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ape C. Oh, Happens to me every year. Oh, fever. This one. We'll end with this today. An incoming missile time. alert was sent to everybody in Hawaii on their cell phone, only to be told forty panicked minutes later. Uh yeah. Never mind. This is one of the biggest what the fucks ever. On many levels starting with the fact that who gave the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency the authority to send out alerts that may cause widespread panic to our telephones? I think the cell phone laws were changed a number of years ago. You people can help me out on this. In which, basically, you had no right to not get alerts about certain things. that uh, The government said, well, we're we're gonna make you. We're gonna make it so that we can reach your phone with a message or an alert if we feel it necessary. And some will say, "Well, what's the big deal, Zabe? They're just public servants trying to make people aware of uh, dangerous situations." Well, I'll tell you the problem. That story is the fucking problem. That that was sent out, and that forty minutes elapsed before they said this was a mistake, could have led to some serious, widespread mayhem. And then. Who's going to make people whole? If somebody says, well, a missile's coming, I'm going to come into my local uh, store and just steal everything in there and shoot the store clerk if he ends up, you know, coming after me with a, a tire iron because who the fuck cares? There's a missile coming. The other thing about it is there's nowhere to hide from an inter- intercontinental ballistic missile. Where are you going to, quote unquote, seek shelter from an ICBM? If that ICBM is actually coming, there's very little chance that we can stop it with our missile technology, although I hope maybe we've got some shit we haven't told anyone about that would. But if it hits Hawaii, it's going to have, I'm sure, a nuclear tip on it, and I'm sure it's going to do incredible widespread damage. And even if you say to yourself, well, maybe I'm in a hotel or a structure on the 10th floor that is out of the immediate blast zone, but the shock wave reaches out you know, another 10 miles and knocks the building over well if I was outside cowering in a ditch I'd be alive and I wouldn't be dead okay I can technically see that guess what you're not gonna want to be alive you're not gonna want to be alive in a Hawaii that just got hit by a fucking nuke in which there's a smoldering radioactive hole in the ground on one part of the island there will be no medical services there will, no, there will be no law enforcement to keep people from rampaging around like it's Mad Max Thunderdome. There will be radiation. Oh, there will be a world war as well, because you know we're going to unload on Kim Jong-il. So in other words, I don't want an alert saying there's a missile coming, take shelter. I, say, I want an alert that says here's where it's going to hit so I can rush under it. Because I seriously would not want to survive such a thing. Tsunami? Different. It's different. There's no way, I believe, that the Hawaii uh, Emergency Management Agency should have the ability to have a missile alert sent to people's phones. They should have that taken away from them. But, of course, they're saying, well, we're putting safeguards now, and they have not fired the public employee who did this. They are reassigning that person man or woman, they haven't named who it is, because they say it wasn't his or her fault, per se. It's just that the ability to send out that message was apparently a little bit too easy. That's their story right now. We'll see if it holds up. Personally, my theory, not to go all all Alex Jones on you, North Koreans hacked their system. They hacked their system, and they sent out this alert, because what better way to get Americans scared of shit... To say, you know, we should probably sit down and negotiate with Kim Jong il, then actually get one of our public agencies to send out a missile threat to really sharpen in your mind, hmm, how would that feel? What would that look like? Just my theory, I'm sure our public servants will tell us exactly what happened and be totally forthcoming in how they're gonna fix it. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you very much for listening, as always. You can reach me, Zabe, at yahoo.com, via electronic mail. Tweet me, at Zabe, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Of course, tell two friends about this ZabeCast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and all the other platforms I distribute it to it. And uh, once again, thanks for listening. Zabe.com for even more content from me and the archives of these shows on SoundCloud. Have a great Martin Luther King Monday, and we will see you tomorrow.
0: Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022.